another brand new episode of T Watches a Scary Movie. My name is T, and of course, we're talking scary movies. I appreciate everybody tuning in. It's another brand new episode. New episodes go up every Wednesday on YouTube at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. That's the one that's got the video attached to it. And then it's going to be up for audio, typically about an hour beforehand, about 7.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And you can find us on Podbean as well. You can find us on Spotify too. Yes, we are now live on Spotify. Just go and search T Watches a Scary Movie. You can find the show. I want you to follow, like, comment, share, do all that good stuff because we are on Spotify now as well. We're going to get to iTunes. I promise there's an issue with getting the artwork of the show uploaded, so I'm still working on that, but we are going to get there. Uh, but yeah, new episodes go up every Wednesday. I appreciate y'all who are either just listening in or if you're watching as well too, much appreciate it uh, for y'all tuning in as we celebrate the holidays tonight with family. Yeah, that's right, folks. Um, we are just a few days out from Christmas. It is our last holiday show and our second to last show of the year. And last year, I know we did a lot of holiday horror and we got through a bunch of my favorite Christmas horror films. Um, we watched a lot of those this season as well, too. But there's obviously a limit of those films and access and just availability and everything like that. So this year we didn't really do a lot of that. We talked about Krumpus, the naughty cut, but we went into a lot of uh, other new films that have been coming out. And this week I decided after one of our chats in the Discord that we were gonna go back and look at the Riddick movies. Yeah, Pitch Black and then Riddick. We're gonna look at both of those and talk about them because a few people in the Discord chat where watching some other films had stated they never got a chance to see these. So what a perfect time to watch them. And uh, it kind of fits in because we get to spend the holidays, again, as I mentioned, with family. Now you can see I have my Christmas sweater on. Yes, my Texas Chainsaw Massacre sweater, which uh, they just got a new game announced. Yes, y'all remember this one from last year. But yeah, uh, they just got a new game announced from Gun Media. Um, so excited about this one now. Uh, they're the same developers who made the Friday the 13th game, uh, which I love. I still play a lot to these uh, to this day. So I'm excited to see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one. Uh, Scout Taylor Compton is involved, who was Laurie Strode in the Rob Zombie Halloween film. So that's super exciting. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But uh, last one I'm wearing here of the season there, Middle of Beyond. Y'all do fantastic work with your Christmas horror sweaters and cardigans. Uh, check them out, folks. They are absolutely fantastic. So we got to cover Dexter New Blood. Yeah, Dexter New Blood. We had another new episode this week here. And boy, did that end on a shocker as well, too. Keep in mind, uh, this is the seventh episode of the season. We are getting dangerously close to the end here. We only have three episodes left after this one. But if you recall, um, we left off the previous episode there. Harrison had his wrestling match. He snapped his opponent's arm. Dexter came at, uh, came after him afterwards, trying to like figure out what's going on and everything. But unfortunately, Dexter was interrupted because Angela called him up because they found the body of her sister friend, I, uh, Isis. Iris? Isis. Yeah, Iris. Iris. Yeah, Iris in the cave there. Um, and so that's where we kind of pick up directly here in this episode is that Dexter shows up in the cave to help Angela out, trying to find forensic evidence and anything he can find to kind of link Iris's death back to Kurt Caldwell, who is getting very much involved in Dexter and Harrison's life. Now, 
the entire purpose of this episode seemed very more contained than a lot of the season has been. I've enjoyed this season quite a lot, um, but they've also been telling a lot of different stories around the town, following too many characters. Like, And they're not even red herrings is the problem. Like, we've had the stuff with Logan, which I like getting to know Logan more, but... I can't see him having some side, of, some sort of big importance to the end game events coming up there. Uh, we still haven't gotten back to the mayor, which my uh, my wife Melissa pointed out that that guy's probably not the mayor, the one that had the run in with Audrey in the first few episodes of the show. They were protesting him that that's just some rich guy, but I swear it was the mayor though. But either way, um, like we've got a lot of little side stories that haven't really gone off much of anywhere here, especially in the last few episodes. Um, so. It was nice to see a more contained episode. And I read some reviews recently saying that that's a problem with Dexter is that uh, a lot of the original seasons around like episode seven or eight is when this show would just be like needed to be more contained. Like they were just adding fluff in to make the season longer. I've never felt that way about shows. I like getting long seasons personally because there's always more. There's more to get out of it. And I didn't have an issue with this episode either, honestly. Um, we we got a very tense, tense reveal of information from a lot of the parties. We found out that Kurt knows a lot more about everything going on with his son Matt's disappearance than uh, we were led to believe. And it does obviously involve Dexter everybody's learning a lot more about Kurt as well too we're learning a lot about his background about what inspired him um and it does seem like Kurt is our only big bad which again is interesting it's so interesting because it just seems like it's too easy and I get it that's how Dexter seasons work is that we know who our killer is fairly quickly with the exception of the first season the first season was the only one to where um it took a little while before we found out Rudy was the uh, ice truck killer but every other season after that, we find out who our killers are pretty quickly. And so I, I guess I just feel weird about the fact that we found out about Kurt so quick and stuff. But it's going really well. And I mentioned last week that one of the bigger problems I'm having is that Dexter just doesn't understand how to talk to his son and get all this shit worked out, basically. Like, it's very, very clear that by him not telling his son about his past, this was eventually going to come to a head and cause all these big problems. And it did in this episode um, in which, again, the realization finally came to Dexter that he has to reveal absolutely everything to Harrison. That by holding it back, he has not been doing him a favor. Harrison clearly is going through a lot of shit and still dealing with a lot of shit. And if Dexter doesn't get off of his ass and say something and reveal something, this is going to go nuclear with Harrison. Um, I don't want to say more more than that because there are some very, very big reveals in this episode, but we are leading towards a very big conclusion with this show. I'm excited to see these last three episodes and see the standoff between Kurt and Dexter um, while everybody else is still in the mix there. Uh, so yeah, definitely we're going to check that one out there. Um, yeah, we're still watching them in the watch parties, y'all. You want to tune in to make sure you're catching your new episodes of Dexter, and it is also obviously on Showtime as well. This is eggnog, by the way. I'm being festive and cheerful because I do like eggnog quite a bit now. Mm. All right. So now we get to talk about Riddick. So back in 2000, a relatively uh, unknown uh, Vin Diesel got cast to do um, this gritty action sci-fi horror film called pitch black now pitch black was written and directed by david twoey 
um, who wrote uh, actually a really, really great sci-fi film from the mid-90s called The Arrival with Charlie Sheen about this uh, guy who picked up a signal from these aliens who might already be invading the earth and everything. Um, it's actually a really, really good movie. It's, it's actually creepy as shit as well, too. I remember seeing it in theaters. Um, and he went on to write this story, basically, uh, that was that was kind of developed about uh, these people who end up on this planet that has multiple suns and they're a ghost on this planet. And that morphed into the end product, which eventually ended up being Pitch Black. Now, Pitch Black tells the tale of this ship that contains passengers traveling uh, from one end of the galaxy to the other because, you know, in this futuristic world, um, we've, uh, we've mastered space travel and we actually use it as a way to travel all over the place, basically. And we start off with this ship that's traveling across the galaxy, transporting passengers um, that is... Uh, uh, excuse me, that is damaged by a comet that kills the captain um, and it sends the ship off course. And then the surviving crew members basically have to uh, do an emergency landing with this ship on a nearby planet. Now, our uh, docking pilot, Fry, played by Rada Mitchell, um, ends up becoming the de facto captain as she is basically now the, uh, the one in charge of this ship. And tries to eject all the passengers as a way to save her and the other crew member before the ship as a whole might end up destroying itself. She stopped. The ship crash lands on the ground. She saves some of the passengers, including one Richard B. Riddick, who is a notorious criminal, um, you know, for all sorts of crimes, who is being transported by uh, police officer Johns. Now, past that, basically... The story that we're left with ends up being very, very similar to Assault on Precinct 13, which is honestly the best comparison that I can give to it. Now, if you've seen Assault on Precinct, uh, Precinct 13, you don't need to be, me to explain that to you. If you haven't, Assault on Precinct 13 is the story about um, this criminal who is basically stuck at a, stuck at a police precinct. Um, and waiting for transfer and in the meantime his old crew has shown up basically uh, to kill him to kill all the officers basically uh, to you know cover up a lot of their crimes and shit like that and the cops inside have to team up with this criminal in order to fight back against this siege they made a remake too with Ethan Hawke and Lawrence Fishburne um, honestly I think both movies are really really good that's John Carpenter uh, <laughs> by the way there um, but these are really, 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 really fun movies and, but they're not horror, you know, there's horror elements to them there. Um, the fact that you're stuck in this place and all these enemies are on the outside and who can you trust on the inside? It's a lot like the thing in a way. Um, and that's a bit like how, uh, pitch black is as well too, because all these people are right next to this criminal, this murderer, this guy who is notorious across the galaxy for his crimes. And yet he is their only hope to survive as we do find out that this planet contains these creatures who in the darkness grow to enormous size and are quite carnivorous and deadly as well too now i don't know if y'all remember those y'all who have seen uh pitch black back in back in the day there pitch black was one that you had to actually watch a few times back then in my opinion to really appreciate it um, anti-hero stories were still like relatively fresh in Hollywood. Like we had had a few up to that point there, but realistically 
Um, we weren't in the culture that we are now to where it's very easy to get a movie about a bad guy who's the good good guy greenlit and out there it happens all the time especially when it comes to comic book movies because that just happens we have so many anti-heroes out there and we do have to also recall again vin diesel wasn't really much of anybody at that time as well either pitch black came out in 2000 and you have to also recall that what the fast and furious came out in 2001 so at the time Vin Diesel was not Vin Diesel yet there. You know, he had Boiler Room, uh, Saving Private Ryan, like a few other films, The, uh, the Iron Giant, uh, fantastic film. He, like, he had done all these cult movies, which is so weird to think that Vin Diesel has been in like a bunch of cult films before he even went on to have like this big success. But he does Pitch Black, which then basically gets him the Fast and the Furious franchise because Dominic Toretto is another anti-hero in that as well too. But Riddick is the ultimate of like Vin Diesel anti-heroes because he's not actually a good guy. And Pitch Black more so than the other two films that have been released, Chronicles of Riddick and Riddick itself, Pitch Black really sells the idea of Riddick is not a good guy. And by that, what I mean is that in a lot of these stories, what basically happens is that, uh, you know, they have to make a deal with the bad guy, with the anti-hero to help them out in any of these kinds of movies. And they always dangle something in front of that bad guy. But eventually, like, they don't care about it anymore. Like, you keep it at the end of the movie. Or, you know, you could use this more than me. Or whatever, I'm just going to run. Keep the money. You know, they end up doing something incredibly noble. And what I liked a lot about the character of Riddick is that, we're never like uh, we we never get long to remember that he's not a good person he's not a good person at all pretty much all he does is for the betterment and the survival of himself he does not have any care in the world for anyone else and um that's more so evident when he tries to abandon these people much later in the film which is interesting because that kind of thing would happen in the beginning of the movie there like the 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 bad guy the anti-hero whatever um usually towards like the beginning first 30 40 minutes of the film in this kind of situation would have the ability to abandon everybody and you know he'd do it and then they'd be like yeah we caught you and like all right it wasn't really doing anything at that point there um but this crucial moment with riddick happens at the end of the movie. And I think that's very telling. That's a very great piece of storytelling because it shows that no matter everything that they've gone through together, they've gone through so, so much together, Riddick and these passengers and this crew of this ship, it didn't change anything for him. He's still trying to get out and he's not gonna pass up a chance to save his own ass there just because there are people back there, uh, people in this world that need him. Now, in terms of the monsters themselves, because obviously it's a horror show, we got to talk about the horror of it. Um, I really do enjoy the creatures of Pitch Black. Um, there's always going to be comparisons to Xenomorphs from Aliens and things like that, but there is a pretty good comparison to you know the alien that was featured in Alien Three because it's you know bipedal and everything like that. Um, it's fast-paced, sharp teeth and everything. But honestly, it's kind of like a mix between like a xenomorph and a hammerhead shark just by the look and design of their actual skulls and everything. And it's very interesting to see as well, too, that 
Um, they highlight the idea that sunlight, light altogether harms these creatures, but it's weird because they can actually still exist in the light. It's just they're super, super small from what it seems. In the darkness, they grow to enormous sizes, but when they're in uh, in the light, they're very, very small. It's either that or those are babies. Those are two interpretations you can take from the movie. I don't think they're babies, though. I think it's just in the light. They're super, super small. Um, we actually have a really great cast in Pitch Black as well, too, to sell, like, the, uh, I don't know, the seriousness or the legitimacy, legitimacy of this film. Uh, Keith David from They Live, The Thing, Gargoyles, countless countless other memorable uh, genre films there uh plays uh, a mom who is one of our passengers there on the ship claudia ba uh, claudia black from uh farscape and stargate sg1 is one of the passengers on the ship as well too you have cole hauser who went on to be a bad guy in too fast too furious somehow cole hauser didn't end up in the one vin diesel list Fast and the Furious movie because Too Fast, Too Furious is the only Fast and the Furious film that does not feature Vin Diesel. And of course, we have Rada Mitchell as well, too, who is a fantastic actor as well. Just overall, this movie uh, has so many things working for it. And it's interesting because I do feel that the first half of the film is likely what turns a lot of people off because it is a slow burn to get to these monsters. We spend half of the movie, honestly, um, uh, we spend half of the movie kind of focused more on Riddick and the possibility that Riddick is going to kill all these passengers and this crew. It's a very, and it's a very just tense situation. And Honestly, I feel that's the better part of the movie because we actually get sold more on Riddick and how he learns and how he hunts and how he tracks these people who he could potentially could end up killing or he might end up needing to use, honestly. And we get to learn a lot about these passengers as well, too, specifically more about Fry, Johns, and uh, Imam. Uh, and a little bit about Jack as well, too. All four of our pivotal, you know, name cast and everything. But... I love the fact that the first half of the movie uh, doesn't have that much to do with what's coming in the second half with all the monsters and everything as well. I, I it, it, It's a great dynamic to basically get two movies in one. And when the monsters do show up, shit hits the fan relatively quickly. And I really enjoyed the fact that we didn't get this idea that Riddick could just handle everything. Because a lot of anti-hero films and a lot of films like this in general, we might be given the idea that there's going to be this one person who's equipped to handle everything that's thrown at them. And we are shown that, well, like, yeah, Riddick's like, he's a gruff and tough dude who knows how to take care of himself. That doesn't mean that he's immune from everything that's going on. That doesn't mean that he's going to be able to just sidestep and survive everything that's happening here. He's in danger a number of times throughout this movie. And I like that a lot because it makes Riddick human. And there's a part in the film to where Fry, played by Rada Mitchell, actually tells Riddick point blank, like, don't you want to be a part of the human race again? And it's so interesting because as you watch the movie and you see all these things that Riddick's doing and how standoffish he is and how much of an asshole he is and everything, it's like, dude, like you really are so separated from this. And that's one of the greatest things about you is that it's not for show. You know, you are an asshole. You are a terrible person and you really have to relearn how to have emotion, how to have these like these human feelings. And they do such a good job with the character. Now, um, 
the idea here and what's interesting is that even though the story is focused around riddick pitch black is not riddick's story um the story is very much centered around rada mitchell's fry and i think a lot of people tend to overlook that because the franchise is the chronicles of riddick's we get three uh, riddick we get three films focused on vin diesel but pitch black is not riddick's story riddick is an important player in the story but it's really the story about fry because again at the beginning of this film to save her own ass fry tries to kill the other passengers on this ship and the entire movie is kind of focusing on her kind of redeeming herself for this big mistake that she was going to make a mistake is she might have saved her own ass but redeeming herself from a choice she was going to make that would have killed a lot of people at the start of all of this here now um it's interesting because the next film the chronicles of riddick didn't really have much in line with pitch black now we're not talking about that one we're not watching that one because the chronicles of riddick is firmly a sci-fi action film there's not really horror elements in there we could talk about the necromancers but um even then it's just still very loosely uh has maybe a horror element here or there i enjoyed pitch black a lot more in the last 10 to 15 years than I ever did when it first came out just because um, I think it took a lot of getting used to Vin Diesel as an actor to really start appreciating what he did with a lot of these roles. And there's also some coloring issues like with Pitch Black. I don't mean as in like, you know, color as a skin color. Um, the planet that they're on has three suns. So it's very like when they're in the daylight, it's very washed out. It's very gray. It's very bleak. And that's obviously very much on purpose, um, you know, to kind of sell the despair of the situation. But again, it just brings back to the fact that I understand how a lot of people don't enjoy the first half of that film. And it is a very, uh, it's a very decisive one. I do think that the third film is the one that it's very, that's very easy for folks to get into because you know what you're getting into by the time we get to Riddick itself, whereas Pitch Black, you're still kind of working up whether or not you enjoy all of this. But that's a good segue to actually talk more about Riddick because the third film in the series um, brought up here uh, was made number of years after the Chronicles of Riddick came out. There was a very, very big a uh, very big gap between those two films, mainly because, you know, they wanted to get all the same parties involved with it. And that's a great thing about this series that David Toye uh, and Vin Diesel have been involved with all three films. Toye wrote all three, he directed all three of them, and Vin Diesel has starred in all three of these films. So Riddick got brought back after a lot of... Um, uh, just a, a lot of fan demand and a lot of interest brought up. Vin Diesel has loved this character and has always wanted to revisit it. And so we actually got to see this third film um, after a long, long time. And they were promising that this was going to take us back to what Pitch Black was. Because The Chronicles of Riddick um, was very poorly received just because it got away from what people eventually did really enjoy about Pitch Black. Um, and keep in mind, four-year gap between Pitch Black and Chronicles of Riddick, nine-year gap between Chronicles of Riddick and Riddick itself. So it took a while to get people on board uh, on board with this. Now, we start off Riddick getting left off to where um, after the end of the Chronicles of Riddick, I'm going to have to say that name so, so much there. But after the Chronicles of Riddick, 
and Riddick was left in charge of the necromonger uh, necromongers. Um, he uh, he killed uh, the bad guy called Meanie. No, it wasn't called Meanie. I forget who it was. Um, but he killed the bad guy at the end of Chronicles of Riddick, and he became the leader of the necromonger mongers and he doesn't give a shit about the necromongers he's not obviously a part of their religion he doesn't care about their crusade or anything like that he really just wants to get on with his life he wants to uh he wants to get home his home is furia uh that's where he's always been trying to get back to and he's tempted with the idea of being sent there that basically by letting uh letting his role as lord commander lord marshal whatever it was go to the next in line which would be valco played by carl urban yes that carl urban by letting him take over basically riddick would be able to go back home but the problem is is that riddick is of course betrayed by the necromongers and he's left to die on this random planet that they arrive on now from there, it kind of turns uh, somewhat into a bit like Pitch Black, where again, we're given uh, two separate films here. We spend one film kind of following Riddick on this planet, encountering the dangers of this world, learning about it, kind of making this life for himself on it and getting used to what he thinks is going to be the rest of his life here, there. But what he also knows, though, is that eventually... He's got to get off this planet and he finds a way to send out a distress beacon, which he knows is going to bring mercenaries to find him. He's a wanted criminal still, whether he's the Lord Marshal of the Necromongers or not. There's a high bounty on his head. The moment he, he uh, activates this beacon, he knows that a lot of people are coming to him and that's what ends up happening is that two groups arrive to basically pick up reddick one that is there for his head to get the money from his corpse and the other that's there to get some answers due to a uh, bond from the past from a connection of reddick from his past as well now I'm not going to break down any of the other uh, details of the story but Riddick is again surrounded by a cast of characters here who uplift the uh, the the story and the material. You know, we have uh, Matt Nabel, uh, who has been in a number of other genre pieces out there, who's fantastic. Kati Sackhoff is, uh, from Battlestar Galactica is in here. Uh, Batista, Dave Batista is in this. Bakeen Woodbine is in this as well, too. There is Carl uh, Urban, as I said, is back in this one. So riddick has a great cast just like pitch black had a great cast going for it as well too and the thing is is that riddick is so in evocative of pitch black that if you're watching this movie you need to know what you're getting into by seeing it that they're going to be on this bleak isolated like just gruesome desolate planet it's not going to be a lot of vast colors out there it's gonna look washed out just like pitch black was and again to echo pitch black there are worse things on this planet to be afraid of and to be fearful of than riddick a theme that was very much pushed in pitch black that you ain't got to worry about him there are other things out there to worry about and riddick follows that up as well too now what's interesting about this about this compared to pitch black is that in pitch black there was a lot of a moral dilemma because with the exception of Johns, who was transporting Riddick, 
Everybody else there is basically a civilian. Nobody else was there for Riddick himself. And so even though Riddick is the bad guy, and he was, let's make sure we're clear about that. Riddick was the bad guy in Pitch Black. There is no question about that. He is absolutely the bad guy there. And Riddick, he is at actually our good guy. But Riddick is the bad guy in Pitch Black for certain. And Riddick, that role has changed over, and now he's surrounded on two sides by not civilians. So at that point, I love the dynamic of the film because there he can kill anybody, he can get into a fight with anybody, and we don't necessarily have to get upset about it. Because at the end of the day, both of these groups are after Riddick's head. One lethally, one maybe not, but they're both after Riddick's head. So nobody's innocent that's on that planet at that point except for his doggo, which, uh, ah, oh, that thing is so cute. So, so cute. Uh, but this is a fantastic film. Honestly, I think that if you were able to, uh, get past Chronicles of Riddick, which I don't hate myself, honestly, I just dislike the fact that there's no horror in it. Um, but if you can get past that Chronicles of Riddick as a whole has been a really, really good franchise. The next film, I'm not too confident. They're going to, they're going to stick with the horror elements, just because it seems that the only way they can do that is by sending Riddick to planets to where monsters are trying to kill him. And I just don't see that happening with another film. Um, I think it'll probably follow the second one to where we get more of an action sci-fi tale again than we get anything with horror. And honestly, that's okay. Understand it can't always be horror with these stories that are out there. But both of these are really, really fun good movies they are fast paced because they are also action films the sci-fi in it is really really good as well too and those monsters in both films help to serve that horror that all of us really really want while still getting to enjoy vin diesel being a bona fide action hero at that and they're obviously better uh, better movies than um, a lot of other anti-hero stories that are out there, which can be really bad a lot of the times because we get so many of them. So make sure to check both of those out. Last I checked, they were both on HBO Max, uh, but they might not be there anymore, folks. Uh, but you definitely want to check out the Chronicles of Riddick franchise. So that's going to do it for us. It has been a great holiday season with y'all again next week we are celebrating the best of 2021 i have my list together of the 10 best horror films of this year uh we are going to actually get one last review in i'm gonna talk antlers next week so we are going to review antlers i wanted to get it in it's finally hitting streaming uh and then we are also going to do the best of 2021 so antlers in the best of 2021 is next week and uh yeah last show of the year folks happy holidays and merry christmas to you and your own i appreciate you guys going through this ride with me for over a year now we have great things coming make sure to like subscribe share and comment uh whatever platform you are watching or listening to this on folks um I'm excited for 2022 with you guys. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. My name is T. We've been talking scary movies. Stay scared.